I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, which regulates many of our most critical bodily functions, such as learning and memory, emotional processing, sleep, temperature and pain control, and inflammatory and immune responses. The CBD brand that I take and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation to their reserve collection, a sleep gummy. The reserve collection is a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, including THC. Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products are for when intense support is needed. Reserve Sleep Gummies build on their unique Reserve Collection formula with effective sleep-focused ingredients to better prepare you for bed each night. Wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to take on the day with Reserve Sleep Gummies. All of Plus CBD's products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30 percent off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new reserve collection, Sleep Gummies. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to talk about uh, how we can not just prevent cognitive decline, but we can actually, to some extent, regenerate our brains. Uh, I was once, uh, and many doctors were trained in this paradigm, uh, I was once taught that uh, once you lost brain cells, they were irretrievable, that uh, we went through a process by which we were endowed with uh, uh, millions and millions and millions of brain cells, uh, but uh, perhaps billions, uh, but that uh, with uh, the toll of uh, time uh, and perhaps uh, uh, pulling those uh, all-nighters in college, maybe a little too much drinking, uh, we would literally shrink our brains and inevitably lose our brain capacity. Today's guest uh, is uh, a resounding advocate of the proposition that not only can we prevent brain decline, but we can actually recover brain fitness. Uh, he is the author of a scientific paper in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease Reports entitled Benefits of a 12-Week Non-Drug Brain Fitness Program for Patients with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, Post-Concussion Syndrome, or Memory Loss. Uh, also... Uh, he is the author of a popular book entitled Boost Your Brain, The New Art and Science Behind Enhanced Brain Performance. Uh, he is an MD, PhD. Uh, he obtained his uh, doctor degree in neuroscience from Johns Hopkins University, and he got his MD degree from Harvard Medical School. Uh, he's had 30 years of teaching and clinical work and neuroscience research. Uh, and uh, has published numerous papers. He serves as an affiliate staff member at Johns Hopkins Medicine and lectures to students both at Johns Hopkins and at Harvard Medical School. So without further ado, here is our guest, Dr. Majid Fotuhi. Welcome. It's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on your uh, publications and your book. Uh, so let's uh, start with the proposition that I outlined. And, and presumably, uh, you've been in the field of medicine long enough uh, to remember that one of the dogmas of medicine, of, of neuroscience, was that the brain had a finite capacity, 
uh, and that with time, uh, it, you know, as many parts of the body, it uh, deteriorated, that you uh, irretrievably lose neurons, those uh, important brain cells that are responsible for all those connections that help us with memory and performance. But what say you to that in the light of the latest scientific research? I think uh, that is a myth that now has been totally abolished, and we have uh, solid evidence that, yes, there is some uh, shrinkage in some parts of the brain with aging, but that shrinkage that happens is totally reversible, and it's possible to grow your brain um, in a matter of weeks or months. You know, when I started this project uh, 11 years ago, I gave... Um, my patients nine months to do the program and for me to see significant results. And I realized that many of them improved in six months and I realized that actually three months seems to be enough. And what we saw that was incredible in people who are in their 60s, 70s and you know, a few in the 80s is that they not only slowed the rate of cognitive decline which is the goal in most clinical trials 84% of them had specifically significant improvement in the cognitive function. And I think uh, it's in some way surprising in, for people who are not in the field, but to me, it actually wasn't. Because the assumption is that when you get old, everything's downhill. And the best you could do is slow the rate of decline. But I know that many things can grow the brain. And if you put them all together, then you can see results in a matter of, you know, as I said, 12 weeks. So, for example, we saw some of our patients had grown the hippocampus, which is the memory part of the brain, and the size of your thumb, you know, one on the right, one on the left. The size of the hippocampus grew by 3% in half our patients. Well, so that's, that's what you're saying is that there's an objective measure to this. This is not just based on a subjective impression. I, I think I'm doing better uh, with daily tasks or I'm, I, my memory appears better. That's the kind of people have the impression sometimes that uh, whatever they're doing uh, is aiding in their cognition. But actually, you did brain imaging uh, that demonstrated a, yeah. a, a, a tangible effect. Yes, we published that paper in the Journal of Prevention of Alzheimer's Disease in 2016. And uh, we measured uh, the MRI. Uh, uh, and we measured the size of the hippocampus on MRI with so a quantitative measurement. And we saw that the hippocampus grew uh, by about 3% in half the patients. Not all the patients grew. And I think we learned that those who uh, adhere to the program uh, more intensely saw the best results. And of course, you know, there are people who do the program, but they don't have the time and they don't necessarily put all the efforts and they did not see as much improvement. But half the patients had improvement in the volume of uh, the campus, which was measured by a third party. It wasn't like I was just being nice to, you know, just, you know, be like more... Uh, generous to, to see the hippocampus grew. Right. This was done by a radiology center, automated measurements. And actually one of the radiologists called me. I never forget this. He called me and said, I remember doing MRI in this patient, uh, three months ago and they had a repeat MRI and I've never seen that before. What he, happened? He thought you may have I, switched the, you know, mis, misdated the MRIs, you know, because generally the tendency no, just, is towards decline, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he, knew, I mean, he had read the previous one, so he was a radiologist, and he actually picked up the phone and called me. Wow. So Dr. Pati, 
what happened to this patient? Uh, he was just curious as to what had happened to this patient that his hippocampus had grown. At best, there will be no change. Hmm. Most of the time, there's a little shrinkage. So I've seen this so many times that to me, the idea that your brain only shrinks is, is like a distant past, like Renaissance time hmm. to me, because, you know, I see so many patients who get better. And we had two sets of objective test results. One was objective improvements in cognitive testing, which again was administered by the party, and we had objective improvement in the size of the campus on MRI, which were obtained and measured by third party. So it was totally um, outside my ability to to obtain these results. Exactly. And both sets of results showed remarkable improvement. Well, so it almost suggests that, uh, by analogy, the, the brain is a little bit like uh, a muscle. You know, if you uh, uh, start doing uh, biceps curls, uh, your arm muscles uh, will actually increase in volume. Uh, and so your suggestion that obviously it's not muscle tissue, it's neuronal tissue, uh, but that the brain uh, can adapt to uh, the proper types of uh, challenges, the proper type of training. Uh, and uh, regenerate. I think there's a word for this, and there's a word that you liberally use in your paper and in your book. It's neuroplasticity, which is a relatively new word. Can you explain it? Yes. Neuroplasticity refers to the brain's ability to change. Most of the time, we talk about how the brain can change for the better. But, you know, the change can also happen in the negative direction. For example, obesity, diabetes, concussions, um, uh, many lifestyle factors can shrink the brain and so the brain sort of has passes the negative direction but what we have seen in uh, in my patients and I'm not the only person who has reported these by the way, other people had reported growth in the volumes of the campus with different interventions what I did was that I put all those things together in one program so just like you said our brain has an innate ability to change. And in my opinion, it's actually easier to change your brain than to change your biceps. The mm -hmm. amount of effort well. it takes to grow your campus to the point that could be seen with naked eyes uh, is a lot. And, you know, with this 12-week program that we have for our patients, patients came to our uh, brain center twice a week, 90 minutes each time. And we work on three things, lifestyle modification, uh, brain training and biofeedback. And it was the combination of these that produces remarkable results. Okay, so first, I mean, it sounds like to make progress, and often, often in, in, as, as applies to many different tasks, uh, you want to eliminate hindrances and then you want to add positive benefits through. Uh, correct action. But I, I, let, let's start with, you know, what are some of the things that are a drag on neuroplasticity or, or that tend to cause the brain to shrink? Because literally there are behaviors, there are uh, dietary factors, lifestyle factors that tend to cause the brain to shrink. So let's uh, address those. And maybe that's uh, a component in your, your comprehensive program because you tell people to avoid the things that are going to get in the way of their progress. Yes, just like you said, we, we start by helping people change their lifestyle so that they will do fewer things that we know shrink the brain. Now, there are, uh, you know, five things that can shrink the brain. 
One is insomnia. Sleeping fewer than six hours a night literally shrinks the brain. And um, just a dozen studies have provided evidence that when you have fewer than six hours uh, sleep a night on a regular basis, you know, occasionally if you don't sleep for a few, you know, well for a few weeks and then you go back to normal, it's fine. But people who have a habit of sleeping for five hours a night and they struggle with insomnia over 10 or 20 years have much smaller brain than people who have regular sleep pattern. And the severity of insomnia, whether it's mild, moderate, or severe, and the duration of insomnia, whether it's five years, 10 years, or 15 years, determine how much this part of the brain shrinks. Now, I need to explain one thing before I talk more. Sure. The hippocampus and a part of the brain called cortex, which is the top layer of the brain. You can think of like a blanket that's on top of the brain, and the hippocampus, the size of thumb, one on the right, one on the left, near your ears. These two brain structures, which actually are connected, are the parts of the brain that have the highest degree of malleability. They shrink easily and they grow easily. So on average, after age 50, the hippocampus shrinks by about 0.5% per year on average. And so when we talk about brain and when I talk about brain growing or shrinking, I'm actually referring to this cortex and hippocampus parts of the brain, not the part of the brain for breathing or moving your hands and so forth. Right. Let me just interject that uh, all too often, you know, I'll, I'll review as a physician uh, a routine MRI on a patient, and often the comment will be, it's almost uh, a stereotypical comment in an individual over the age of 65, 70 or more, is they will refer to something called cortical atrophy. They will write, you know, yeah. most of the findings are normal. Thank God there's no brain tumor. There's no aneurysm. Uh, there's no signs of a previous stroke. Uh, however, there is, quote, cortical atrophy. It, it appears that that's just an age-related phenomenon. Yes. Now, you know, I think it's something that happened, but I think it shouldn't be happening. It's like, you know, 40s and 50s people smoke and it was, you know, higher than lung cancer. And people say, well, this is what happens on average. But it shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that if you do the things that, we know can grow the hippocampus on a regular basis, you will have minimal shrinkage. If anything, your brain can grow back. So anyway, going back to the things yep. that shrink the brain, cortex and hippocampus, uh, sleeping fewer than six hours a night is one of the major problems. The other one, and perhaps equally frequent problem, is sleep apnea. I'm sure you have seen many patients mm-hmm. who snore at night, have a big belly, they feel tired during the day, they fall asleep during meetings or movies, and the family thinks it's funny. However, sleep apnea literally shrinks the brain. And the worse the sleep apnea, and the longer you have, the more your cortex and hippocampus shrinks. So if you have insomnia and sleep apnea, your brain is going to shrink a lot more than if you have either one alone. A related matter is obesity. The size of the belly and the size of the campus correlate in a negative direction. So the bigger the belly, the smaller the campus. Now, this was shown by MRI studies, which compared the findings on the MRI with the body mass index. A recent study published and presented at the Alzheimer's Association meeting in Amsterdam, which I attended myself, 
um, obtain accurate information about visceral fats. They did body MRI and brain MRI at the same time, and they found that uh, more visceral fat on the same MRI was associated with small cortex in the campus. So that's the especially bad so, kind of fat that's uh, intra-abdominal fat uh, that can expand the waistline, but actually is internal fat that is associated with inflammation. Exactly. Exactly. So another factor, uh, again, related is uncontrolled diabetes. Um, higher hemoglobin A1C, smaller size of um, cortex in hippocampus. If somebody has diabetes and the diabetes is controlled, then their uh, MRI shows the same pattern of cortical and hippocampal volume as someone who does not have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, another factor that shrinks the brain is stress and anxiety. And, you know, you have a measure for stress, which is cortisol level, then you can sort of easily uh, obtain um, objective measurements for cortisol levels. And studies have shown the high cortisol levels in a setting of stress are associated with a smaller size of uh, cortex and hippocampus. And finally, depression mm-hmm. uh, is associated with uh, smaller cortex and hippocampus. So these are some kind of things that are treatable conditions, which unfortunately are not treated in a significant portion of the population. Mm-hmm. The other a, a couple, of, a couple right? of other things that have come up with, unless you're about to tell me, is uh, the relationship yeah. between uh, ultra-processed foods uh, and dementia. I think there was a recent paper that looked at uh, correlation between that and maybe that's mediated by uh, BMI or by blood sugar uh, or other factors. But, you know, the I think they actually uh, matched uh, individuals by BMI and they found that those on the crappy diet uh, actually uh, had a higher likelihood of dementia. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Now, uh, what you eat uh, makes a big difference on the health and vitality of your brain, as well as the size of your brain. Think, the thing that we have these days, which we didn't have 30 years ago, is objective measurement of the volume of the brain, which is not something anyone can argue with. You know, cognitive testing can be challenging sometimes because mm-hmm. you can measure some things, some cognitive domains, but not others. So it's not as robust has the volume of your hippocampus, yeah. which is it is very tangible. And so, yes, yeah, tangible. So uh, the high levels of trans fats are associated with smaller size of cortex in the hippocampus, and highly processed foods are associated with more inflammation, which is known to cause neuroinflammation, which is inflammation inside the brain. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a paper that looks has looked at the correlation between eating highly processed food and size of the cortex and hippocampus. But I wouldn't be surprised if such a correlation exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps it hasn't been undertaken, but uh, ultra-processed foods are in the crosshairs these days, and there's bound to be some research uh, down the line. Um, other factors that I can think of, you know, uh, social engagement or uh, loneliness. Yeah. So loneliness is thought to be a risk factor. Yeah, yeah. so... Those are more difficult to assess. You know, how do you, you know, objectively measure someone's loneliness or um, social isolation? And so depression covers that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that is easier to measure, and it's not so much lifestyle 
as it is what happens to people, is a concussion. And the surprising thing is this. Uh, if a college student is exposed to uh, frequent concussions, that person's campus is smaller than the other students in that same college who are not engaged in football or hockey and do not have wow. concussions. Mm. So the shrinkage of a concussion, the shrinkage of hippocampus is not something that only happens when you are 60 to 70. Mm. It happens in people in their 20s. And the difference between the size of hippocampus in a college football athlete and a college non-football athlete is huge. I often show this in my lectures and I ask audiences, like, which, you know, what's the, which, which one is bigger? And it's, you don't have to be a neurologist to look at someone and say, oh, it's the size of a thumb and it's the size of a pinky. Yeah. Um, so the, the difference is not subtle. And a recent study that was published in JAMA showed that um, people, young people who died because of suicide or car accidents or drug overuse who were... Mm-hmm. Uh, because normally we can't simply do a brain biopsy on a healthy yeah, 25-year-old, yeah. you know, so we're actually yeah. able to uh, assess the pathology uh, before they, they die at 75, 80, 90. Exactly. So these, and it's, you know, and, and the thing is, uh, so these uh, college athletes who had died, had died things that could be related to the concussion they had, such as um, suicide, or drug abuse, which could be a consequence of trauma to the brain. But anyway, half those patients, half those patients, the young athletes, 20s and 30s, had uh, evidence of Alzheimer's pathology in their brain. It's something called CTE, mm. chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Wow. So concussions shrink the brain and the cortex in the campus, and concussions in people who uh, experience fear frequent traumatic brain injury can actually cause the pathology that we see in patients with Alzheimer's disease in, in while they're still in their 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. What about factors yeah, like so, uh, alcohol, yeah, uh, smoking? Uh, you know, clearly, you know, especially in, in young people these days, we see a lot of binge drinking. Uh, smoking takes a toll on virtually uh, all organs of the body. Uh, any correlation with those factors? Yes. Um, so another factor that has been associated with the volume of cortis in the campus is alcohol consumption. And <laughs> several studies have shown that higher amounts of alcohol intake is associated with smaller brain. In fact, a recent study showed that even drinking one or two glasses a day could be bad for your brain. See, I'm not a drinker, hmm. but, you know, I go to social gatherings. I have one or two wine, glass of wine or something. Thing. And, and when I give lectures based on epidemiological studies, I would say things like epidemiological studies have shown that people who drink one or two glasses of wine, generally speaking, are less likely to get dementia and brain is generally healthier. But the recent MRI studies have shown that um, if you have never consumed alcohol, your brain's healthy, and even one or two glasses hmm. of wine uh, per day is associated with mild brain atrophy, and if you definitely have three or more, then binge drinking or something like that, or alcoholism. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, we yeah, are moving. We're, we're certainly moving the goalposts on uh, alcohol and moving more towards uh, minimal or yes. zero tolerance in terms of its effects. Yes. So the the issue is that the other thing you talked about is the binge drinking, and uh, actually, an older study, maybe it was ten years ago. I reviewed those when I was preparing for my previous book. Um, showed that even binge drinking is associated with small shrinkage in the cortex hippocampus. Now, a young person who, you know, drinks excessively one weekend and would have some shrinkage in the brain, very subtle but measurable with MRIs, mm-hmm. would normalize the brain in a month or two because... And, yeah, I've, and yeah. I've had a couple of those weekends, and I've kind of regretted that. And, you know, we'd, we'd wake up in the <laughs> dormitory and we'd say, gee, I wonder how many brain cells we killed off last night. But you say that one can recover from those infrequent challenges. Yes. yes. But the thing is, um, these MRI uh, images show the shrinkage in the brain, even with binge drinking, let alone regular drinking for years. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, the goalpost of how much drinking is okay um, has changed and moved to what I tell people one or two glasses a week. Mm-hmm. You know, I that's what I do myself. I, you know, I, if I go somewhere on Friday night, I may have one or two drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you get used to it. Um, you know, I don't miss it that much because when I look at the study, and these are large-scale studies. The one I just mentioned to you is published in Nature. Uh, really show uh, convincing evidence that alcohol seems to shrink the brain. Mm-hmm. Smoking, of course, takes a toll. I think that that's a foregone conclusion. What about the effects of exercise? Is there something to be said for uh, lifelong athleticism as a brain-preserving uh, thing or vice versa, sedentary lifestyle with adverse effects on the brain? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I talk to my patients, I talk about the concept of brain reserve, which means your brain has a capacity to grow and become bigger. And so throughout life, you have the opportunity to deposit in this uh, brain retirement fund. Mm-hmm. So the more you do things that grow the brain, the bigger retirement fund will you have in your 70s and 80s. And the single most effective way to grow your brain is exercise. Mm-hmm. And the evidence for this uh, is beyond compelling. For example, if you take animals and you put them in two cages, one with a running wheel, one without, and then, you you know, if there's a running wheel, mice will actually, you know, go run in it. And the ones without it, just sit around. And then you can chop the brain and look on the number of new neurons. And you can see that the number of new neurons in the runners is like 10 times the number of new neurons in the sedentary hmm. animals. Um, they have estimated that the number of new neurons that are formed in the hippocampus is about 700 neurons a day. And the way they did the study was in Sweden. Um, they went to talk, they went and talked with people who had terminal cancer and were about to die. They had very short life expectancy. And they got consent from them to inject them with a radioactive compound, which would go to the dividing cells in all throughout the body, including the brain. So after they pass away, they can look at the brain and see which parts of the brain, if any, had new neurons. Mm-hmm. And they found 
they did the calculations that it's about 700 new neurons every day. So every day, on average, 700 new neurons, which in the scheme of billions of neurons is small, but nevertheless, they were calculated that. And these neurons are stem cells. They're not mature functioning cells. So every day, you know, 700 neurons are born, more or less. And then uh, if they are engaged, if those neurons are recruited in the circuitry of the brain, then they mature. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's important for the maturing process is BDNF, the brain-drive neurotrophic factor. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's plenty of evidence to show that when you exercise, mm-hmm. not only you grow new neurons, so it's a 700, yeah, like 7,000, but you also transform those from being stem cells to mature neurons, which then connect with the cortex and other parts of the brain. So I, I so, call that's why it, it may be warranted to call exercise the uh, miracle grow for neurons. Yes, yes, exercise is the single most important uh, intervention for growing your brain. Yep. I want to pause here because uh, you know we talked a lot about some of the things that uh, drag on people's uh, brain uh, function and can be deficits. Uh, but in part two, uh, our listeners know we divide our podcast into two parts. In part two, I want to talk about uh, uh, the exciting results of your research on uh, a program, uh, a brain fitness program that can actually make a difference in cognition. Uh, that I find finance, uh, fascinating because, uh, as you well know, there, there's some controversy over brain training regimes. And we'll tackle that controversy and talk about your uh, findings and your unique program and suggestions for our listeners. Uh, all of those are incorporated in your book, Boost Your Brain, The New Art and Science Behind Enhanced Brain Performance. And Dr. Futuhi, do you have a website as well? We might mention it before uh, we go to part two. Yes. My website is drfutuhi.com, D-R-F-O-T-U-H-I.com. Okay, so it's it's kind of phonetic, F-O-T-U-H-I. All right, I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We'll be right back with more of today's Intelligent Medicine podcast on the subject of the science behind enhanced brain performance. 